Please take out your Bibles and turn the Old Testament to, guess what book? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. How many of you have ever given or gotten the now make sure you dot 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 speech? Most parents have given them, so therefore most children have received them. Perhaps it's before going off to summer camp for the first time. Now, now make sure you listen to your counselor. Now make sure you stay with the group. Now make sure you brush your teeth every night. Maybe it's before sending your children off to college. Now, make sure you check the oil in the car and, and make sure you eat uh, fruits and vegetables, not all that college junk. And, and, and make sure that, that you, you choose very carefully the friends that, that you're going to have. See, we have in that final moment before the last goodbye, this overwhelming compulsion, particularly as parents, to encapsulate our lives, <laughs> the lessons we've learned, the mistakes we've made into that one moment before we send our children off to a place where we will not follow them. And that compulsion, of course, is motivated by love. We love our children. We want them to be well. We love our children. We want them to thrive and succeed. And so it is with Moses as he sends off this vast group of his spiritual children into the promised land. He's not going with them. He won't be around anymore to lead them, to guide them, to comfort them. But he's lived a long life. And Moses has learned a lot of lessons in the course of that long life, and he's made mistakes as well. And those lessons and those mistakes, that's the material from which he draws in these final moments before he parts from his people this, now make sure you, dot, dot, dot. And you and I would do well to listen to the words and the lessons of Moses. So let's do that as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. I'm going to ask you to stand. As we hear, read together, the word of the one and only true and living God, Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, this is the word of the Lord. Moses is speaking. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray now that your spirit would be the teacher among us this morning. Lord, that your truth would come clearly from your word to us this morning. We are frail, uh, sinful, infinite people. I am Lord, and yet we attempt to uh, represent you. And so we pray, O Spirit, that you would help us, help me do that uh, accurately. And that, Lord, we would see you uh, more in your glory this morning that we would see more of the people you've called us to be because we've been together in your word. So bless us now, we pray, uh, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated.
And if you look again in verse 21, you see there that Moses is once again reminding the people that because of them, because the Lord was angry with Moses, because of them, he is not going to go into the promised land. Now, this is the third time in four chapters that Moses has brought this up before these people that are gathered before him. I'm not going to the promised land because of you. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Moses was not going to enter the promised land because he uh, was the leader of God's people. He was their representative head. The people sinned. They refused to go in faith into the promised land and God punished them. He said, because you did not trust in me, you will die. You will not enter the promised land and Moses will not enter either. And just at the moment, when we were ready to be all offended and say, well, that's not fair. Before we actually sinned against God, we stopped ourselves and we remembered that we would all be lost. We would all be without hope, were it not for the representative justice of God. Because you know what? Jesus wasn't guilty either. He did not commit one single sin, and yet he died on the cross in our place. Because we have committed many, many, many sins. And so he died in our place, and he took our punishment for us. He represented us on the cross, and God accepted his representation. is all that he needed to accept us. And so Moses was being punished, along with the rest of the people, as their representative. But on this day, as Moses stands before these people, he is mindful of something that he had done. Something of which he was guilty. An act that became part of the material. The life experience, the life lesson that compels him now to say to the people, make sure you don't. Make sure you don't do what I did. And we know what that thing was from Numbers chapter 20. We read the story in Numbers chapter 20, and this is what happened. The people of Israel gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They were in the desert. They were on their way back to the promised land for a second time, and they had no water to drink. And so they quarreled with Moses. And they said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why, Moses, did you bring us into the desert? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? And they quarreled with him. And the word quarrel can mean to get into a brawl. And it can include some shouting. And so what we could have before us here is a a mob scene. And we know mob dynamics, don't we? How quickly things can escalate and get out of hand. How quickly, normally, rational, reasonable people get carried away and do irrational and unreasonable things. And so Moses and Aaron, they they left this mob of people and they went to uh, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. God's dwelling place among his people. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that they ran there. Scripture doesn't tell us that they fled to the temple. But what they did, as soon as they got to the temple, kind of speaks to how desperate and critical the situation was. Because as soon as they got to the tabernacle of the Lord, they fell face down, fell on their faces before the Lord. And in Scripture, whenever we see people falling on their faces before the Lord. 
it's almost always in a moment of great desperation or, or great need or great fear. But Moses and Aaron never spoke a word. No sooner had they fallen before the Lord than Scripture tells us the glory of the Lord appeared to them. God saw them prostrate before Him. God knew their needs. Before they ever opened their mouth to speak a word, to utter a a prayer, to cry out before the Lord, God revealed His glory to them. I don't know what the glory of God looks like. I can hardly define glory. I don't know if it's a, a radiant light, a mysterious presence. I know when I study the, the word in Hebrew, that whatever glory is, it is weighty. And it is intense. And it communicates splendor and majesty and honor and riches. All the things that belong to God, all the things that make God who He is. That glory of the Lord in that moment appeared to Moses and Aaron. That's just how close he was. Outside, riotous mob scene. In the presence of the Lord, glory and peace and safety and rest. That's always who God's people find God to be. That's why God's people have taken up pen and hand and written words like Psalm 31. How great is your goodness, which you've stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. In your dwelling place, you keep them safe. Psalm 71, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Psalm 94, but the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. In Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I feel a little bit guilty for the t-shirt that I wore to the gym this past week. Somebody gave me this t-shirt and on the back of the t-shirt it reads, keep calm, barbecue on. So at the gym, I was running around the track, and the track is a sixth of a mile long. So about 18 times, I run around the track. And every time I pass those who are walking on the track, they see me go by and they read, keep calm, barbecue on. When I pass the other runners on the track, (laughs) I'm so glad you got it, because that's the funny part. You see this, don't you? I'm not passing so many people anymore. So whoever I pass 18 times, keep calm, barbecue on. So I'm running past people who I know their life, like our lives, are hectic and chaotic. They're not calm. Sometimes their lives, like our lives, resemble a mob scene. And I know that they're trying to keep pace with that life and make sense of the chaos and find a little bit of peace. And my message of hope as I run by them, is keep calm. Barbecue on. Yeah, just run on out to the grill, uh, throw, throw something on, and just forget about the world. Really? You know, you are running someplace for peace and calm and refuge. Where is it? 
You're pointing other people to a source of peace and rescue and safety and calm. Where are you pointing others? See, if Moses could speak to us today, having had this experience with God, he could certainly say, now make sure you remember the Lord is your refuge to which you can always go. Make sure you remember the Lord is your rock. Make sure you remember the Lord is your fortress. He is your strong tower. Now, let's get back to the story. After God revealed his glory, he told Moses and Aaron exactly what they should do to fix the situation. And here's what he told them. Take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So see how good and and gracious God is? He meets Aaron, he meets Moses in their time of great need and tells them exactly how to provide for the people. God tells them how to calm the storm that's brewing outside. So, how would you respond? How would you respond? If God graciously revealed His glory to you when you were scared, when you were desperate, how would you respond if God graciously gave you crystal clear guidance and told you what to do when you didn't know what to do? How would you respond? This is how Moses and Aaron responded. They left the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the guidance of the Lord, and they went and assembled the people in front of the rock. And Moses said this, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? But, but wait, Moses, you, you were just so desperate and and God was just so good to you. And, and, but, but Moses, wait, you didn't know what to do. And, and God was so gracious to you. And, and he told you what to do. And, and now you lash out in such anger. And then Moses took the staff that was in his hand. And he raised his arm and he struck the rock. And he raised his arm again and he struck the rock a second time. And water gushed out of the rock. And the community and the livestock drank. Because God always intended that water was going to come pouring out of that rock because God intended that he would provide for his people and no one will thwart the will of God. But after the Lord provided for his people, he turned to Moses and Aaron and he said, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You're not going into the promised land, Moses, Aaron, because of what has just happened. And so the question that you and I should ask is not why did God do what he did and not allowing Moses to enter the promised land. The question we should ask is why did Moses do what he did? Why did Moses leave the presence of the Lord where he had seen the glory of the Lord and been given the guidance of the Lord And then go stand before the people and say to them, Listen, you rebels. Those don't sound like words of grace. Coming from one who has just experienced grace. 
when he was so desperate for it? Why did the grace and glory of God not penetrate Moses' heart? Why did Moses not just do what God commanded? God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock twice. Maybe one strike of the rock. Oh, sorry, Lord, a little slip of the hand there, but twice. No, Moses was lashing out in anger. Scripture tells us that. Psalm 106 talks about the account. And it says that the waters of Meribah, it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter and he spoke rashly with his lips. And so it makes one wonder, why won't Moses let go of all his anger? What a testimony it could have been to the goodness of God. What a testimony to the grace of God if Moses, now calm, now quiet, now at peace, now feeling that warm, inexpressible joy from having been in the presence of the Lord? What if he, in that moment, could have communicated to despairing people, to desperate people, to, yeah, imperfect, sinful people, that God has compassion and that God can freely give without reproach, without blame. But Moses ruined it. He turned this would-be moment of grace into a moment of anger. And instead of communicating God's grace, he communicated disgust and condemnation. See, the people didn't see what happened when Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle. They don't know what happened. But we can assume that they would assume that whatever Moses said and did when he came out is what God told him to do. If Moses is lashing out at them, God must have not lashed out at Moses. If Moses is striking the rock in anger, God must be angry at Moses and angry at them. Anybody here remember Keith Green? Keith Green. Raise your hand if you remember Keith Green. He was probably the first contemporary Christian singing superstar. He was killed at 28 years old in a plane crash in 1983. But, but Keith Green was a John the Baptist type zealot. He was so radical. You know, he gave his albums away, thousands and thousands of them, and, and he wouldn't charge for his concerts, which turned the Christian music industry just on their ear. They didn't know what to do, you know, with Keith Green. And he was always challenging people to live authentic lives. You know, if you say you're a believer in Christ, live like it. And Keith Green said this. He said, I repent of ever having recorded one single song and ever having performed one concert if my music and more importantly, my life has not provoked you into godly jealousy or to sell out more completely to Jesus. Now, that's Keith Green. If you ever saw him in concert or heard him, you know it's true. But after being a Christian for three years, he wrote this one song. And I think Keith Green is on to something here. And the words are these. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive in you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. See, after just being a Christian for three years, 
Keith Green already knew how easy it is to have dry eyes and a cold heart. To have a lack of compassion. How easy it is to resist what we know we ought to be. Alive in Christ. Dead to ourselves. But we resist the transformation of the Lord. Maybe we're afraid we won't recognize our lives if we give in to it. Maybe we're afraid others won't recognize our lives. Maybe we're afraid others won't approve of the transformation of our life into one that's radically lived like Christ and radically unlike the world. But I guess most of us probably resist that transformation of the Spirit of God because we enjoy our sin so much in all of its manifestations. But we especially enjoy the privilege of, of having our say. It feels so good, you know, to really tell someone off, to put them in their place, you know, to let them have what's coming to them. We enjoy that. And we don't want to be denied that privilege. And so we who have received in abundance grace and mercy and forgiveness, we too often refuse to pass it on to others. But here's the thing. God let go of his anger toward us, didn't he? He let it go. Jesus took that for us on the cross. What do we think we'll gain by resisting this transformation? Moses discovered there was no gain. There was only loss for him. He had his moment. He lashed out in anger, but he gained nothing from it. And so I feel certain that Moses would say to us today, now don't forget, as you're living your life, In the land where God is placing you, keep a soft heart. Let go. Submit. Just submit to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God. With this event in mind, as surely as it must have been in the mind of Moses, let's get back to Deuteronomy. Verse 22 Moses says, I'll die in the land. I'm not crossing over. You're on your own now. I'm not going with you. And then verse 23 is the now be sure you don't moment. He says, you know, be be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. See, Moses forgot the covenant, the agreement that God had initiated. Out of all the people on earth, God chose these people. To be his special people, his inheritance. God chose these people as the recipients on whom he would lavish his grace and his love and his mercy. And God promised, I will be your God, I promise. And you will be my people. Their side of the covenant was to live in obedience to all God commanded, but Moses did not. If you look over in chapter 5, just a few verses over, Moses restates there the Ten Commandments that God gave His people. Beginning in verse 7, Moses tells the people, Number one, God said to us, You shall have no other gods before me, but I, I put myself before God. Number two, God said, Do not make for yourself an idol, but I, I I made an idol of my own will and my own way, because I loved myself and what I wanted more than I loved God. Number three, God said, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. But you know what? I took his name in vain. Not because I put God in front of a cuss word. Not not anything like that. Far worse, I misrepresented the God who wears the name. 
Number four, God says, Observeth, observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's God's power that always delivers his people. But I struck that rock as if it were my power, bringing the water from it. Number five, God says, honor your father and mother. I didn't honor my heavenly father. We could go on and on and on. God says, do not steal. I stole from God. I stole the glory that belongs to him. I stole the honor that is his due. God says, don't bear or give false testimony. But my actions, they gave a wrong testimony about God and who he is. I did not remember the covenant. And when you forget the covenant with God, when you forget about that, the covenant with God, by necessity, you will make an idol of something else. And so Moses replaced God with an idol of self. And that's why we can't view Moses' disobedience as trivial or insignificant, as many people do. Oh, what's the big deal? God said, speak. Moses struck. So what? It is a big deal. That's why God says in verse 23, make sure you don't make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden, including yourself. How will people know God? How will people come to God? If we misrepresent him, how will we do anything but confuse people if we claim to know Christ? But they look at our lives and they are looking at our lives and they see that we give our time and our energy and our excitement and our enthusiasm and our resources to things not of Christ. Romans ten thirteen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good news, right? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 2 Corinthians five, eighteen. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Good news, right? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see how vital it is that you and I represent Christ correctly? Yours, yours, maybe the words that God uses to bring someone to to faith. Yours may be the life lived out in front of someone else that brings them to faith in Christ. Knowing that, ask yourself, as I ask myself, what are you doing? To make sure you are faithfully representing Christ to them. You are an ambassador of Christ. You and I, we are ambassadors to the U.S. We are. That's who God has made us to be. This is where we live. We are United States ambassadors for Christ. How well do you understand the mission upon which God has sent you? And what are you doing to prepare yourself for it? 
How accurate is your life a depiction of it? We can answer that question by determining how well we, how well we, you and I, live by the covenant. On the last night of his life, Jesus gathered his disciples around him. And as he sat around the table with them, he took bread. And he gave thanks for it. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body given for you. After the dinner was over, he took a cup of wine. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is our new covenant. The new covenant is the body of Christ given for you and given for me. The new covenant is the blood of Christ poured out for you, poured out for me. This is the new way to God through Christ. This is the new way to salvation through Christ. This is the new way to peace through Christ. This is the new way to hope through Christ. This is the new way to life. This is the new way to love through Christ. This is the new way to joy through Christ. This is the new way to goodness and kindness and compassion through Christ. This is the new covenant. Now make sure you remember it. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 11 that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the new covenant. If we forget the covenant, as Moses forgot it, we will misrepresent God. Because you know what we'll do? We'll work really hard to be our own saviors. That's what we're going to do. And people are going to see you working really, really hard to work your way to God. And, and as we do that, we deny the grace that established the new covenant. The grace that God poured out, giving you and giving me what we don't deserve and what we can't earn will misrepresent the grace of God. And you'll be so hard on yourself. You'll be so hard on yourself in your efforts to please God that you'll see no reason not to be hard on everyone else around you. Because you did not remember the covenant. The mercy of Christ that compelled him to go to the cross so that you and I do not receive what we do deserve. And when you forget the covenant, you work really hard to get God to love you. Because you know what? Maybe you just don't really love yourself anyway. And others see you trying to earn that love that you already have and you misrepresent the God who is love. The love that caused Christ to die for you and the acceptance that you without a doubt have because of the new covenant. His body given for you and His blood poured out for you. If you forget the covenant, you'll look for all of these things, joy, peace, love, goodness, whatever. You'll look for them somewhere else. And when you find... Or when you think you found that, you'll make an idol of that person or thing. So that even if you are claiming Christ with your words, you deny him with your life. And your actions misrepresent him. As you and I live in this land, this land, in which God has placed us, 
We have to remember the covenant. If you want peace, remember the covenant. Give up the idols. If you want to flourish as an individual, flourish. I don't mean material, but if you want to flourish as a person, remember the covenant. Give up the idols. If we want the kingdom of God to be extended through us here at Redeemer, we've got to remember the covenant and give up the idols that even churches can most certainly have. That's what we have to do. We've got to run to Christ because we know he's our strong tower and we keep our hearts soft to the transforming work of the Spirit of God. Let's remember, make sure we do these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for time together in your word. Father, I pray that I have represented you correctly and accurately in bringing the word to these people this morning. Lord, I don't know how heaven works. I know you, Father, are omnipresent. You're everywhere. You see all things. You know all things. But I'm struck by the reality that Perhaps Moses sees and hears as well because Moses is very much alive and well and hope I have represented it correctly. Uh, the, the life situation of Moses. But all that aside, Lord, I pray that what is true from your word would convict our hearts and that what's true from your word would transform our lives, Lord. And Holy Spirit, where you are at work, and my prayer is that that is in each of us who is here this morning, I pray that we would not resist the work that you are doing. When you reveal yourself to us, when you reveal your glory to us, when you reveal your will will to us and, and the way you want us to go and what you want us to do and who you want us to be, And that may be different for all of us. But when you reveal that to us, I pray that we would not resist, Lord, the transformation that you are bringing about in us. Pray, Lord, that we would not hold on to our way and our will as Moses did. That we would not hold on to our anger. That we would not refuse to be changed by you. But, Lord, give us soft hearts. Soften them up with the oil of your love, the oil of your word, the oil of your spirit. Lord, transform us. Transform our church. And Father, may uh, your kingdom grow and be extended because we are people of truth who take seriously the call you place on our lives to be your representatives uh, and your ambassadors here on earth. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.